Uh, if you got a Bible, go ahead and, and find Psalm 78. Psalm 78. I'm really glad to be back up here. To... Hey. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I hated not being able to teach last Wednesday or Sunday, but Aaron and Samuel did a great job. They're good teachers. And uh, I'm glad to be back. All right. And with this, we're moving to our, our next to last category of Psalms in our study through the Psalms. One that, if I may, since we're in a spirit of confession on Ash Wednesday and all, <laughs> confess that I have inexplicably failed to add to the list of categories until this point. I've given you, I gave you like a whole list of categories and totally left this one off of it. Gave it to you many times. Here's the list I gave you. Uh, praise Psalms, Lament Psalms, Thanksgiving Psalms, Confidence Psalms, Royal Psalms, we're going to think about next week, and Wisdom Psalms, remember Riley talked about those, and uh, yeah, there was, well, there's one more, and, uh, and we're going to, yeah, I mentioned we're going to do Royal Psalms next week, but, and that's the most significant one, but in the category that I absent, absentmindedly left off that list that we need to talk about tonight, because it's a good one, uh, are Psalms of Remembrance. Psalms of Remembrance. I have no idea why I left that off the list, but there it is. There are a small handful of these psalms, maybe half a dozen or so, in the Psalter. Uh, and sometimes they're hard to spot because sometimes they almost disguise themselves as, as other categories like a Thanksgiving psalm or a psalm of praise because sometimes uh, the the, the reason it does that is because the remembrance psalms, we never, the psalms of remembrance never remember things just for the sake of remembering them. It's always to some greater end. Remember this about the Lord. Remember what the Lord did for this purpose, to praise Him, to thank Him. We'll see another reason in Psalm 78. Uh, so sometimes uh, they, they almost look like other categories. But what is different about remembrance psalms well that's it is what i just said it's they they are in the psalter like psalm uh 105 psalm 106 psalm 78 psalm 135 136 those are examples of remembrance psalms but a lot of times they they remember the deeds of the lord the past deeds of the lord so that in, in order that we might remain faithful to him that we would uh, stay faithful to him ourselves, but also that we, in remembering these things about the Lord, would tell those things to others, that we would especially tell the coming generation. We're going to see that very clear in Psalm 78. So remembrance psalms, they are exactly what they say they are, psalms that remember the past deeds of the Lord, but never for its own sake. It's never like, remember that? Oh, that's cool. It's always for another reason, always for another purpose. And we're in Psalm 78. I just picked one because I love this psalm. It, it, it ticks a lot of my boxes that I wanted to share with you tonight. And we're going to, this is a remembrance psalm, but because remembrance psalms are always for some other purpose, it's going to feel like we're talking about that other purpose more than remembrance psalms in general. So this Psalm 78 is focused on remembering the past deeds of the Lord in order to raise up the next generation of the faith okay that's the point of psalm 78 let's remember the 
the glorious deeds of the Lord. Let's remember the wonderful works of God. Let's remember those so that we can tell them to the next generation and raise up the next generation of the faith. That's Psalm 78. Um, and most specifically, it's about raising up our children in the faith. Now, Millie and I are the only two in this room in that station of life right now, uh, having children that we're raising in the Lord. So um, I know that you'll, you'll get there eventually. But what I want you to do as we think through Psalm 78, because there is another application of this than just raising your infant child in the, in the faith. There is another application I think is, has biblical warrant. I want us to think about the, the admonition we find in Psalm 78 to remember the wonderful works of God in order to tell the coming generation, raise up the next generation. I want you to think about it in terms of making disciples. I want you to think about it in terms of instilling the faith in new disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is biblical warrant for this, just, just thinking in terms of the fact that, hey, Paul often referred to Timothy as his son in the faith, his child in the faith. Paul, therefore, a spiritual father to Timothy. So um, we're going to talk about raising a generation. The, the, head, the heading in my Bible is tell the coming generation or raising a new generation of the faith. So as we think about raising a generation, don't think about this is something that I need to file away for later when I get married and have kids. Fine, file it away for that. Come back to that. But, but it has to do with you now. It has to do with filter it in your mind tonight with who am I actively trying to bear witness to, Christ to? And who am I actively trying to disciple so that they can disciple others? That's what I want us to filter this thing through tonight. With that in mind, I want us to think through a portion of, we'll read the whole psalm, but then think about a portion of it uh, that I think gives us good counsel on discipling the next generation. And um, before we read it, I'll go ahead and tell you what, the, what I want to see in it. We're going to focus mainly on verses 1 through 8, even though it's a much longer psalm. We'll read it. But as we look at the first eight verses more closely, we're going to think first from verses 1 through 4 about the will of raising a generation in the faith, the, uh, the will involved in raising the next generation, because the next generation of the faith is not going to produce itself automatically. And the next generation will not be Christian just because the one before it was. We, we, we got to have a desire, a, a, a will to invest ourselves to multiplying the faith, multiplying the gospel in every way possible. Secondly, in verses 5 and 6, we're going to think about the way of raising a generation. What does it look like? What exactly should we be aiming for? That's verses 5 and 6. And then finally, uh, verses 7 and 8, the why. The why. So, three points, the will, the way, and the why of raising a generation. So, if you found that in your Bible, let's read Psalm 78. Beautiful psalm. I would invite you to follow along as I read, and I know it's long. So what? Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. And now it's going to enumerate those. 
He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to the Lord. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to His law. They forgot His works and the wonders that He had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, He performed wonders. In the land of Egypt, in the, in the fields of Zoan, He divided the sea and let them pass through it. He made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly, as from the deep. He made streams of water come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can He also give bread or provide meat for His people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, He was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob, and His anger rose against Israel, because they did not believe in God, did not trust His saving power. Yet He commanded the skies above. And opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels, and sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. And he let them fall in the midst of the camp. All, the, all around their dwelling. And they ate and were filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths, and they lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. He turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them. 
and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and to their flocks to the thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. He let out, then he let out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his commandments, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places, and they moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook the dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. The priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke from, as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine. He put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this remembrance psalm. Thank you for how almost overwhelmingly it reminds us of the history of Israel for a purpose of warning us, for a purpose of urging us not to be like that old generation, urging us to be faithful ones who tell the coming generation. So as we spend some time in this word, we want to confess our faith to you, Lord, that this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. And we ask that you would grant us minds to understand the truth that's related to us here. And not just minds to understand it, but hearts to embrace and love it. And wills to obey faithfully whatever it calls us to do. Please give us all ears to hear. And give, us, give me the help I need to teach. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So as we, we're going to, this is a very long psalm, so, and, and really, um, much of it is just recounting history, and, you, and it's for this point, you kind of get the point it's trying to make. So I want to think first about 
what it's admonishing us to do, which is to don't forget, don't forget the things that the Lord has done so that we can pour them into the next generation and raise up another generation in the faith. So let's think about the will involved in that. All right, so this psalm uh, begins with Asaph, who, who wrote this psalm, and we'll, he, we'll say more about him in just a little bit. But he's addressing both the men and the women of his generation, and he begins in verse 1 by calling them uh, to listen to what he has to say. He says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So in this way, remembrance psalms are like a lot of the categories that they, they begin with this invitation. Invitation to do whatever it is that they do. Invitation to praise, invitation to give thanks, invitation to remember. And, uh, and, in, and in that way, that's how it begins. It's, it's, it's inviting. Listen to me. Listen to me. What's he going to say? He says in verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Dark sayings. The NIV says hidden things. What does that mean? Is he saying he's going to give them a riddle? Is he going to... Uh, what are these parables and dark sayings? Well, translations can be tricky things. Um, the words translated here as parable, hidden hidden things, dark sayings, they carry more the meaning of heavy things, weighty things, um, very important things, very important sayings. And so he's just reiterating what he said in verse 1, which is basically, please listen to what I'm about to say. Please, please listen. That's what he's saying. And, and, and we know he's not strictly talking about hidden things in particular because verse 3 says he's going to talk about things that we've heard and known, things that our fathers have told us. So he say, listen up. I'm about to tell you something you know, but you need to hear it again. So this is something you've heard a lot, but you need to hear it again because you don't need to forget it. You need to remember it. He's about to teach you the Word of God, that the, the same Word that your parents taught you, the one who led me to the faith and discipled me taught me. So the psalm begins with Asaph teaching his fellow Israelites, urging them to give ear and incline your ears to the teaching of God's Word. Pay careful attention. Don't, don't run after new things. Pay careful attention, the most careful attention, to the, to the truth that's already been handed down to you, the things that you've heard a hundred times. That's what you need to be consumed with. He says in verse 4, we will not hide them from their children. And I would add, as you're filtering this through your, the filter I told you, I will not hide them from those who don't yet know. I will not hide them from the guy who sits next to me in class, the guy that I've built a friendship with, and I know he's not a believer. I'm not going to hide this from him. I'm not going to hide this from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. Because the guy sitting next to you who's not a believer, he might be the same age as you. But if he doesn't know the Lord yet, and you bear witness to him, and he comes to the faith, he's a baby believer. He is the next generation, even though he's not a kid. Tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Now, that verse is interesting and also a very important verse. That verse right there, verse 4, it, 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 it says, We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. That, expect, that verse expects two things of us. It expects two things of us. One, 
that we would know about the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might. How can you tell anyone something that you don't know, you don't know about? Right? That you would know the wonders that He's done. And that goes back to verse 1. It expects of us that we will give ear and incline our ears to the teaching of God's Word so we know the truth that we will then tell to someone else. And I'll say this, a lot of us are pretty good at that. Pretty good at knowing knowing things. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know what your, your Bible reading at home is like. We have a Bible reading plan for the spring somewhere uh, if you need, need some help. But a lot of you are pretty much here week in and week out. You're here on Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday and Wednesday. And on a weekly basis, you are hearing about, if I have anything to do with it, the glorious deeds of the Lord. And you're hearing about His might. And you're hearing about the wonders that He has done supremely in Jesus Christ. You're hearing that. We're pretty good at that. What I don't know is if we're as good at, which is the second thing that verse 4 expects of us, and that is, that is that we would take all that we have heard and take all that we have been taught, and that's a lot, and that we would not hide it from our children. That is what it expects, that we wouldn't hide it, that we wouldn't hoard it, that we would not, wouldn't hide it from our children, we wouldn't hide it from those who don't yet know, we would tell it to the coming generation. And notice how verse 4 specifically words it. We will not hide it. We will not hide it. You don't accidentally hide anything. It's on purpose. It, and so you make a decision to hide something. You make a commitment to hide something. So to say, I'm not going to hide it, is having... A commitment is having an awareness, making a decision to say, I'm going to disciple, for parents, I'm going to disciple my children. I'm, or I'm, I'm going to disciple my friend who, who may be a, a baby believer, right? But they need to grow up in the faith. Or maybe they don't know the Lord at all. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be open about being a Christian. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them the works of the Lord. Right? That's, that's the highest priority. If, I'm, if I've got somebody next to me and I barely know them and they, and they told me they're a Christian or they grew up in church, I'm still not going to assume anything about them. I'm still not going to assume anything about them. Even if they say, I grew up in church, I'll tell you, man, I have, <laughs> I have talked to more people than I can count on campus at Auburn who told me they grew up in church, but they couldn't tell me the first thing about Jesus or the gospel. Uh, two things are possible about some who grew up in church. One is that church wasn't clear in its own teaching. Two, even if it was, they weren't listening. But they did grow up there. So it's a commitment on our part. Even if you think, well, they're a believer, don't assume anything. Tell them about, talk to them about Christ. It begins with a conscious decision, a conscious commitment. To be open about being a Christian. To not be ashamed of the gospel. To not have more fear of disapproval than we do of God. So having the will to do what this psalm urges us to do. Having the will to carry out the great commission that Jesus 
gave to make disciples begins with remembering the truth yourself. Give ear. Notice the kinds of words also that he uses in verse 4. The glorious deeds of the Lord. The wonders that he has done. You know, you know, if you've been here and you read the Bible on your own, you know what he's done. You know what he's done for you in Christ. Are they glorious to you? Are they wonders? So read them again and again and slow down. Don't hurry. And ask the Lord to open your eyes to the glory and the wonder of what he has done for you. In Jesus Christ. It's easy, to, it's easy to talk about the gospel when you marvel at it. This is true. And not only is it easier to talk about the gospel when you marvel at it. Most of the time you will also tell it humbly when that's how you feel about it. You won't tell it proudly. You won't tell it self-righteously marveling at the gospel roots that out of your heart. And when you talk about it to somebody else, that's how it's going to come out. So it starts with having the will to do it. Let's also think quickly about the way of raising a generation we see in verses 5 to 7. Look there quickly. Verses 5 to 7 said, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their, to their generation that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. By the way, y'all ever heard of uh, Rosaria Butterfield? Uh, she wrote, she wrote uh, her first well-known book was Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Um, she was the chair of uh, liter some literature department at Syracuse University. Um, she, was, she was a homosexual and didn't hated Christians, hated Christianity, but um, an old old man Presbyterian pastor and his wife befriended her, had her over to dinner. Long story short, she came to faith in Christ, and she thought their church was so weird because all they ever all they ever did in their church they were so conservative that they didn't use any instruments, and all they ever did was sing the psalms. They never even sang regular hymns; they just sang psalms. But it was some years after she was professed faith in Christ and she was coming out of a very different worldview than Christians have, it was singing this hymn. And she gets to verse 6 singing, singing the hymn. In that, or verse 5, you know, verse 6. Um, and, it, and she's saying that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, that she came to change her mind about abortion. That they're not here yet, but they are in the will and mind of God. And arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope on God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments. And notice how, again, I already drew for, uh, uh, emphasis to it, but verse 6, that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn. Right there. Right there. Not only do we have the, need to have the will to, to, to be open about being a Christian to the people we know and talk to them about Christ, but when we do, this is specifically saying we're called to instill the faith, me and my children, you and your friends, and do it in such a way 
right? Do it in such a way that not only might they, not that, that they, they might grow to be faithful believers and followers of Christ, but they will know the importance of doing the same with other people, right? Other people that they know. In other words, we want to raise our children in such a way, we want to make disciples in such a way that we're not just making disciples, but making disciple makers. And that is not, you're seeing right here on the page that that is not just a New Testament principle. Multiplication is, right, is in the Old Testament as well as the New. That's always been the Lord's desire. And that happens by both teaching and example. By both teaching and example. It happens by teaching. Remember again who wrote this psalm, Asaph. The subheading is a mascal of Asaph. You know, I don't know what a mascal is. It has a footnote. This is probably a musical or a liturgical term. I have no idea what a mascal is, but based on that, tells me that this psalm was probably used in church. This psalm was used, this was something they would have sang in gathered worship and probably sang repeatedly. Why is repetition, repetition good? So you remember it. Why is putting it in a song good? Because you remember it. Why would they have done that with this? Because they need to remember it. And, it's, and, and it, would have been a, it, would have, it would have happened through teaching in this way. Right? It ingrains it in them. But discipling others also happens by intense and intentional example. Intense and intentional. I wish you'd just jot those words down and think about. Those are two words that you need to have ringing around in your head all the time when you think, in, when you think about discipling others it's going to you need to do it you need to be both intense and intentional those are two good words it happens through example when when people see when people see the generation before them or the generation older than them or uh when when people see that generation intentionally and intensely modeling faithfulness to make sure that they know christ and they see the generation before them doing those things so that they know Christ themselves in a more deeper way, it will ingrain in them a seriousness of the faith and an awareness of the importance of doing the same with their children or when they're older or their friends now who don't know Christ. For some of you, that is something that has happened very recently in your life or maybe happening right now. You, you grew up in church. It happened to me. You grew up in church, but truth be told, even though they preached the gospel, no one was really excited about it. And no one really took their faith seriously. For some of you, that may have been an exception. But by and large, I'm talking to some of you who, that for this to be true. And then you come to Auburn, and for the first time in your life, you're around a whole lot of people just like you but the only difference is they are radically committed to Christ. And, and, and they are radically committed to know Him and love Him and follow Him and wherever He leads, I'll go. And the simple fact of merely being around that makes you love Christ more. Right? For me, it was, it was my freshman year. I, I, came, I, I grew up in a... First Baptist Church, small town, 
great. They didn't teach error. They didn't dive deep in the word, and I wasn't listening. But I, you know, I was a believer, but I, I came here as a freshman, and I can remember uh, my freshman year, we went to a passion conference in Fort Worth. And I was like, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen multiple thousands of people my age loving Jesus Christ like this. And then I heard John Piper, who had brown hair at the time. And I was like, I've never, I really never heard anybody preach like this. And man, I, I came back changed. You know? And John Piper never even said anything to me personally. And I didn't know most of those people in the room. Just God used that, the whole thing, to move me. Yeah. Why is it so important? The why. Well, look at verse 8. Well, verse 7 says that they should not hope set their they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, keep his commandments. Verse 8, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. That's a sobering verse. A generation, not somebody's. A generation's whose heart was not steadfast. A whole generation like that. Not just this guy over here, or this guy over here, this guy over here, this guy over here. A whole flipping generation. Heart not steadfast. Spirit not faithful to God. And the whole rest of the psalm describes it in vivid detail. When our hearts are not steadfast, when our spirits are not faithful to God, we are raising an entire generation to be just like us. Both our friends now and the generation to come. When we are not in intense and intentional about this our own hearts will drift into apathy and unbelief and we will lead others in exactly the same place our hearts are never neutral be, make no mistake we are each going to stand before God for ourselves and on my own I can't stand before God for you and you can't stand before God for me but we're going to be responsible for each other. We are. Just like this Israelite generation, our hearts, we take, we take people with us. <laughs> Wherever we go, we go toward Christ, we take people with us. We go away from Him, we take people with us. I hear people, I hear people all the time, older, older generation, lamenting all the time, about how this world is getting and how far, how bad the culture is getting. I never thought I'd live to see the day. Complaining about how much worse it is when, than when they were coming up. I believe we're going to be held accountable for every statement we make like that to the degree that we ourselves are living unfaithfully in this generation. And we're unwillingly to be actively involved, intentionally and intensely, to influence the next generation to be any different. But God help us to be faithful in our own generation, including raising the next one. 
to walk in these same footsteps. And if the Psalms of Remembrance teach us anything, urge us to do anything, it is to think deeply on what God has done for us. Think deeply on it, especially in Christ, in order to fear the Lord and, and to marvel at His goodness, to marvel at His grace so that we don't hide it from others out of fear, but tell it to the coming generations.